We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. fans welcome to another episode of her hoop stats unplugged as always you're here with megan gower and for all of those of you who celebrate i hope you had a great thanksgiving great time off hopefully got to see some friends family enjoy the holiday we took a short little holiday break from the podcast but we are back this week and ncaa basketball certainly did not take a break for the holiday weekend, lots of craziness, lots of Thanksgiving tur- tournaments, so plenty to discuss today. To do that, I am here with Calvin Wetzel from our Her Hoops Sets team. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, Megan, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. We've got lots to talk about this week. It's been like two weeks since we recorded and had like turkey tournament madness over the last two weeks I think (laughs) basically every team other than South Carolina in the top five or six has lost a game at this point it's been chaos so lots to talk about lots to try to decide what it all means but very exciting basketball over the last week and a half or so absolutely this is that time of year when everyone loses and you know usually no one knows who the best team is I think we do this year no one knows who the second best team is but (laughs) That's what makes that last week in November so so fun every year. Yeah, exactly. Lots of big games. I feel like we learned a lot about a lot of these teams too. I think seeing them up against each other is like the best way to try to learn like who's really on top and where the holes are. I think it's you can take so much from who they're playing outside of the top, you know, ten teams, but really those top ten matchups I think is where you learn the most. So we got quite a bit of that over the last week and a half here. So lots to talk about. 
I think starting with the number one versus number two, South Carolina took down UConn in the battle for Atlanta's final. Pretty hefty win by the end of it, 73-57. South Carolina stays on top. Really looks like, I think, the team to beat right now. And UConn fell down to three, but they're already back in that number two spot in the poll quickly afterwards following the rest of the Thanksgiving chaos. Yeah, yeah, I... A lot of people aren't going to like this. They're probably going to be pretty mad at me for saying this, and that's fine. But <laughs> UConn is the second best team. I think UConn is still the second best team. Uh, they lost by 16. Everyone else lost someone else too. So I, I don't know who else is the second best team at this point. But the fact that they're the second best team in South Carolina just completely took them out of what they, what they wanted to do in the second half, and especially the fourth quarter. They scored three points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and this is... Probably the second best team. At worst, is the third best team in the country. They scored three points in an entire quarter. I think that tells you a lot more about South Carolina than anything. Just when they really get locked in, what they can do to you. Yeah, and I think in that game, what we really saw, and we've seen in a couple games, I think, since that game now, too, is just Aaliyah Boston really going off. I mean, she had 22 points, 15 rebounds. Like, that's just insane. Against the number two team in the country. Like, just not against, you know, anyone. Against the number two team in the country. I think we've seen her kind of come into her own. South Carolina's really using her in the paint. I think even in the beginning of that game, kind of when UConn was able to go on a little bit of runs, it felt like she wasn't getting touches in the paint. And I think that's when we see South Carolina struggle. And then in the second half, she got her touches in the paint. And, I mean, like I said, 22 points, 15 rebounds. So she just dominated. Yeah, and she's been doing this for a few games now. Um, you know, this one is the most high profile by far. But, you know, the other day uh, she had against, I think it was North Carolina A&T, 29 points on 13 of 13 shooting, including a three in there. They weren't all just in the paint. Um, she, she, Like you said, they're really starting to use her more. She scored single digits in her first two games this season, 11 points in the third. From then on, she has just been a force. And she's making me look dumb because – in our podcast at the beginning of the year, and even after that first week when she was averaging like nine points a game, I said, look, she's an awesome player. She's not going to put up the type of numbers to be an All-American, and she wasn't through a week, week and a half. The last week or two, she absolutely is, and if she plays like this, I'll definitely have to revise my pick and put her on that first team All-American because she's putting up some monster stats, and she she is really carrying a team that is so full of talent around her and yet still standing out as sort of the centerpiece of this number one team in the country yeah for sure I actually think that's kind of just like an interesting like overall observation I have about South Carolina and UConn so far as these are two teams that we talked about being one two at the beginning of the season and so much of that was like oh they've added all of this depth from what they had last year and I feel like that's not really what we're seeing so far from them it's still kind of like their core returners that are leading the way by far most of their production is coming from like who we would have thought it would have come from last year, but it's just been like the dominance of like Olia Boston and then maybe a little bit less so so far, but like Paige Beckers that has really been carrying these two teams. Yeah, you know, to your point in that game, Dorka Juhas and, and AZ Fudd, the only newcomers uh, to get on the court for UConn against South Carolina, 29 combined minutes from newcomers. And you look at South Carolina, number one recruiting class, three of the top four. Those three freshmen, obviously Raven Johnson's hurt, but those freshmen have barely played. They played their starters the vast majority of minutes as well in that game. Camilla Cardoso played under 12 minutes in that in, against UConn. They, they don't even need her, which is scary because 
she's a fantastic player and they're they're beating really good teams without her having to contribute a whole lot I, that's why I thought Aaliyah Boston might continue to put up those sort of low numbers that we saw at the beginning of the year because I didn't think they need her a lot but really what it's looking like is they don't need the newcomers a lot those pieces are maybe there to help them in cases of foul trouble and injuries and you know they have some crazy double overtime game it's going to help them but they don't need them not so far at least yeah, agreed. I think we've kind of seen that on, I mean, well, especially from South Carolina, but even from UConn, like in these tight games, we're not seeing a ton of the bench. I think they would have liked to see more of their bench against South Carolina. That certainly would have helped. But yeah, it's been, I mean, it's not just like Aaliyah Boston and Paige Beckers. It's that uh, Cook has played fantastic for South Carolina. I've been really impressed with her through these first, you know, eight games or whatever that the Gamecocks have played. And then, you know, Kristen Williams for UConn has been really solid. So there's multiple pieces that are, playing really well but we're seeing kind of that same returner group is really the focal point and while they have all this added depth I don't think that's what we're really seeing making these teams stand out right now yeah Zaya Cook had 17 points in that game and was you know maybe a little bit overshadowed by Aaliyah Boston but Destiny Henderson Boston Cook the three and double figures for for South Carolina Kristen Williams Paige Beckers and Avina Westbrook, the three and double figures for for UConn, and I mean those those are players that have been established on both these teams already. So, like you said, it's it's more the same with just a little sprinkle of of some newcomers here and there throughout the game, but it's not really really as different as maybe we thought it was going to be. Yeah, and then I feel like the stat of the game for this one was just that the amount of dominance that South Carolina had on the glass. They had forty two rebounds to UConn's twenty fifth or UConn's 25, they just absolutely were insane, especially on the offensive glass. Even when they were struggling to shoot the ball, they were getting pretty much, I think they ended up getting over like half of their own misses in the game. So just really were able to dominate in the paint, largely thanks to Aaliyah Boston, but their other players as well, and just really had the edge on UConn on the boards here. Yeah, you're right. I got the box score here. Exactly half. Uh, 38 misses, 19 offensive rebounds for South Carolina, 19 defensive rebounds for UConn. It's really, really hard to win games no matter what else you do, if you make your shots, if you protect the ball. If you're only rebounding half of the other team's misses, you're putting yourself in a big hole right off the bat. Um, and, and, you know, that's what happens. So you're right. UConn, or excuse me, South Carolina, just the way that they were able to crash the glass and clean up their own misses against, like I said, one of the best teams in the country. I mean, if they do that to Elon or North Carolina A&T, that's cool, but do it to UConn means something. Yeah, and as much as I agree with you that UConn still looks like the second best team in the country, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on, because if I'm not mistaken, I think they lost the rebounding margin against South Florida in their second game in that tournament as well, which We'll get to it, but South Florida is looking like a very good team, so it's not like they're, you know, losing the rebounding margin to, you know, some number 100 team in the country, but it's still, I think, something that needs to be kept an eye on. The UConn post players got to, I think, step up their game on the glass. Yeah, well, South Florida, we'll get to this in a bit too, but they have a big-time rebounder that is going to make a lot of teams lose the rebounding battle to them. But, uh, yeah, we'll just dangle that in, and when we, when we get to them, we'll talk about that. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, you're right. South, South Florida, 15 offensive rebounds. It wasn't quite half. 15 out of 38 uh, of their own misses. Still, still a pretty, pretty tough mark. I mean, UConn got the win, obviously, but that's, uh, that's not the type of offensive rebounding percentage you want to give up. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think something to keep an eye on with the Huskies going forward. They've got some interesting games coming up too, right? They've got Seton Hall, which can be a decent Big East opponent this week. They've got um, Notre Dame this weekend, which is now a top 25 game. Uh, Georgia Tech and UCLA later next week. So definitely some, some big names on the schedule coming up for them. All right. Well, that was the battle for Atlantis, which, I mean, a little bit of chaos, but not too much. One versus two, someone was going to lose. And then we get to the Bahamar Pink Flamingo Championship over Thanksgiving weekend. We've got Maryland lost, Stanford lost, Indiana lost, NC State did not lose. They're the one team that came out, I guess, unscathed from that stretch, but just a whole lot of chaos with top 10 teams from that, that tournament. Yes, this is this was this was the most loaded. You know, the battle for Atlantis. We talked. They had some great teams, obviously, and you know they had three top tens at the time. Oregon has dropped a little bit, and they lost to UC Davis tonight. UC Davis is a great mid major, but they're going to drop even further after that loss. Uh, they did have the number one and the number two in that field, but I think this field, top to bottom, was better. You had five top tens in this field. I think it was four of the top seven, if I remember correctly, um, at for what the rankings were at the time. Uh, this was just this field was as stacked as really you ever see, and they, they always do a great job of these tournaments of getting some really good team year after year. But I don't know if I've seen a field quite like this. With uh, I mean, Stanford was ranked number seven, I believe, coming into that week, and was the fourth ranked team in this field. That's Stanford was the fourth ranked team. In this field. <laughs> I still can't even believe that, that doesn't make any sense. But this this was just a fantastic week of basketball. It's. It's it's no surprise that almost no one made it out of that that gauntlet unscathed. Um, credit to NC State for doing so, but obviously they got another big test against one of the other teams who was in that field, but they didn't get to play in that field because they play tomorrow night. Tonight, by the time you release this, NC State, Indiana, getting ahead of myself. But both of those teams got to play in that field, and we'll get to see them play um, you know, Thursday night in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, but yeah, NC State was definitely impressive coming out 2-0. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they pick up a big win over Maryland, which, I mean, we'll get to Maryland being shorthanded in a bit. But still, I mean, they just dominated wire to wire in that game. They went up big in that first quarter and just held on to it all the way through. I think there was really never any question in that game that NC State was going to win it from a few minutes in. And then they pick up a solid win, too, over Washington State, Pac-12 win uh, on Sunday or on Saturday as well. So two good wins for them. I think they're a team now that they just have that one loss to South Carolina. So I'm really circling that Indiana game tonight because I think that's a chance to really, for them to really prove where they're at. I think, you know, we saw them lose by not a ton to South Carolina and they were a little bit shorthanded in that game. They didn't have Jada Boyd. She's back now, seems to still be on minutes restriction. So we still haven't really seen them at full strength, but I think if they can you know, get that win over Indiana. I think you're pretty clearly looking at a top two, top three team in the country. Definitely, yeah. And Indiana is one of the toughest places to play in all of women's college basketball, one of the best atmospheres in the country. And Gabe uh, pointed out, you know, Gabe and I did our little Big Ten ACC Challenge preview show earlier. He pointed out that just the state of Indiana is such a basketball state. It's he. He made the point playing in that state in general is just hard. And he brought up Georgia Tech, who went into Purdue today, by the way, and lost by one. 
So Gabe was right. Gabe, if you're watching, state state of Indiana, it's tough to go in there. So if NC State gets out of there with a win, big, big kudos to them. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting game. Honestly, like they're in good shape even if they just lose a close one there. I think either way, I'm not concerned about them. But going in there and coming out with a win on the road is going to make a big statement. Absolutely. Yeah, NC State comes out unscathed. Maryland, not so much because not only did they lose largely to NC State on Thursday, they played Stanford on Saturday, and Stanford also beat them handedly. So a rough, I think, weekend for the Terps. Granted, they were shorthanded, so I think everything has to be taken with a little bit of grain of salt because we clearly just didn't see that Maryland offense that we are accustomed to in this tournament. Yeah, you and I talked about it in our preview show that they, you know, that it's an all-gas, no-breaks team, and that's hard to do when you don't have that depth and when you're playing – starters you know some of them for 40 minutes 40 minutes a game uh i'm just looking at the box score i mean chloe bibby played 80 minutes between those two games she didn't come off the court uh cheyenne sellers 39 54 in the second game is it's tough and we saw them walk the ball up the court sometimes which is which is kind of a weird thing to see with maryland so and in one sense you know yeah if if you if maryland doesn't have the depth to push the ball that's their biggest strength and if they're not able to play to their biggest strength of getting out and running, then they're going to have a tough time winning some of these games. I, I'm not sure if the, you know, if the depth issues can explain all of it though, when you look, I mean, they won both second halves. They actually, they got ran out of the gym in the first half in both of these games and came back and outscored Stanford and outscored NC state in those two games in the second half, which, you know, part, part of that, maybe when you're up big NC state and Stanford, maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit, kind of coasted in the second half. But, but at the same time, um, if, I mean, if you have depth issues in, in your, and fatigue is playing a factor that should show up more later in the game. You should be fresher from tip. Uh, I, I think it's more than that. I think this Maryland team, it's a great team. It's a top 10 team. They got up to rank number two at one point. I, I don't think even full strength that this is the second best team in the country. Not yet, at least. They, they have to prove it to me at some point if they're going to get back up into that top tier, that final four type of tier. Because the, these two losses were a little bit troubling, even with the pieces that, that they were missing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I know I harp on their defense a lot, but I just think it felt like it was a little bit more on display today because I think when they're putting up 90 points it's easy to ignore the fact that they're allowing 80 but I think when you now can't put up 90 points it comes very quickly obvious that like they have some large defensive holes and I think we saw that both against NC State and against Stanford and I think that's something that they're gonna have to improve I think for the Maryland to be like a true title contender they have to play better defense I their offense can take them very far, and it can take them far in their tournament, but I think we saw them like run into Texas last year and a team like that that's more defensive-minded can kind of give them a little scare and can upset them. And I think if this team wants to be a team that's going to be in the Final Four, they're going to have to make some changes on defense. Yeah, when you, you know, if they, especially if they want to win a national championship, when you go through six single elimination games, you're going to play a lot of different type of teams and, and you really have to learn how to play different type of games because of that. And you have to learn to win games 90 to 80, but you also have to learn to win games 60 to 50 because you're going to play a team like Iowa and you're going to play a team like South Florida. 
and and you have to learn to win both of those types of games. And not sure if Maryland is able to, like you said, that that Texas loss. Texas turned it into one of those ugly, grinded out games that casual fans complain about and that I love. And I'm not sure if Maryland can win those type of games yet, even if they're at full strength. Yeah, and I think especially you look at like that Stanford game where this was Stanford's third game in three days. Cameron Brink only played nine minutes and they still beat them by 20 points. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And I think Cameron Brink is a player I would expect Maryland to have a very tough time guarding. So with her only playing nine minutes, I think you got spared some of what could have happened in that game. <laughs> Exactly, and that's you know that's after uh, she had a twenty twenty game earlier in the same tournament. So she can she can do a lot of dangerous things, and the fact that they really put it on Maryland without her is is definitely telling. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'll be interested to see. I mean, Maryland is going to start getting some of those pieces back, so hopefully we'll see them rebound a little bit from that. But I'm going to continue to keep kind of an eye on their defense there because I think. That was very obvious to me in this tournament, and it'll be interested to see if even once they can get their offense back a little bit more on track when they have their deeper rotation, if they can clean up the defensive end as well. On that note, I mean, Stanford doesn't come out on skate. They do pick up two huge wins. They beat Indiana and they beat Maryland but they lose to South Florida in the middle game. They were the only team that played three games, so they played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They lose that Friday game to South Florida. I think you actually called that in our preview. I think you said even if Haley Jones was playing, they, were gonna, they might lose that game. And I feel like it's still not that surprising. It's a team that's very similar in style to Texas, so I think some of those issues that they had against Texas were still – evident in this game and I mean things aren't going to fix themselves overnight it's only been we're only what two and a half three weeks into the season so I don't think it's that surprising yeah I you know I, I think I did say that um I love this South Florida team and I loved them before they won this game and I loved them before this season I, I <laughs> honestly I loved them last year and they're only getting better um you know the thing that impresses me the most I mean there's a lot of things that impress me about them the thing that impressed me the most about them in this game I think we talked about this a little bit on our preview show as well, is we talked about winning different ways with Maryland, you know, in South Florida. Yeah, this was a grinded out game, the type of game they want to play. But at the same time, I think in past years, you know, Jose Fernandez, this has always been, he's always had a good program there. They're so defensive minded. And and sometimes their offense just really struggles to, you know, almost the opposite of Maryland. And to me, it was so big for them moving forward in a confidence builder that, they won this game at the end on an offensive possession because I think if you t- talk to any South Florida fan and said, you get one possession to win a game, do you want to have to get a stop or you, do you want to have to score? They're going to say, put us on the defensive end, give us a one-point lead. We want to have to get a stop with the shot clock off because we know we can rely on our defense. But they needed a score in this one. They were down by one or maybe it was two, and they needed a score. And their offensive end came through with, that big shot by Sydney Harvey. And to me, that's just huge for them and for their confidence that they can they can really find ways to score like that when they need to. Even though they only scored 57, they're not going to need to score a whole lot to win games the way they, def- they defend, but they came through when they needed to. And I also want to talk about Betty Manunga because the day after Cameron Brink had that 2020 game and we all you know threw all this praise on her on Twitter, wow, 20 rebounds, Betty Manunga 
went up against her and said, I can do better than that. Watch me pull down 23 against you. And by the way, Betty Manunga is six foot flat. Four Stanford <laughs> starters are taller than her. Anna Wilson is the only Stanford starter that is shorter than Betty Manunga. And she still pulls down 23 rounds. And she's been doing that for the last two or three years as well. The nation finally got to see it. But she's averaging, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, like 15. It's crazy how good she is at rebounding for a six foot flat player. And I think we need to give her some more love too. If we're going to give Cameron Brink some love for her rebounding, because that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how South Florida out-rebounded UConn. They also out-rebounded Stanford 52-38, to so by a fair amount there, too. So, I mean, this team is, for a pretty small team overall, especially compared to, like, a Stanford or a UConn, they are getting it done on the glass. <laughs> yeah, and, and mostly thanks to, to a six-foot-nothing Betty Menunga. How tall is Paige <laughs> Beckers, by the way? She's six-foot? She's 5'11". I think so. I think technically she's listed at six feet. I don't know that she's quite there, but. <laughs> so we're talking about like essentially Paige Becker's height for reference. This is not a big, like a Leah Boston, six foot five type of player in the post. And, and I did pull up her stats here. She's averaged double digit rebounds each of the three years of her career. Last two years, she's been averaging 12 plus. I, you You'd be hard-pressed to find a better rebounder for her size at that height in the country, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's very impressive, especially when you're up against a team that has not only camera break, but Haley Jones has a lot of size. Like, that is, a you know, Ashton Pechtel. There's a lot of size on that Stanford team. And for her to come up with 23 rebounds is really, really impressive. Yeah, like I said, four, four Stanford starters. She's shorter than their two guard. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> And I'm glad you brought up Haley Jones, because that's the other thing I wanted to talk about with South Florida. By the way, they held Haley Jones scoreless, and she played 31 minutes. So, you know, all of us, she was hurt coming in, maybe, whatever. Like, I, you know, I, I'm not buying it. She played 30, and she played 30 minutes the next day, too. She played 60-plus minutes, you know, combined back-to-back days. She looked fine to me. So I, I think it's more than – South Florida, you have to give credit to South Florida, the way that they, they guard, guarded her and their game plan against her. Um, you know, because she's one of the best players in the country and she didn't get a point. She didn't get a free throw. She didn't get anything against them. I could go on and on. You, you got me on my, on my South Florida <laughs> now, but I'm all in on this team. <laughs> no, I mean, I think they look like a top 10 team when you look at like what they've accomplished over the last couple of weeks. Like, yes, they lost to Tennessee, but Tennessee is the number 11 team in the country right now. And yes, South Florida lost to them, but they lost to them by like three points on some horrible end game execution at Tennessee. That's a hard place to win. And then they go into the battle for Atlantis. They beat Oregon, which granted Oregon doesn't quite look like a top 25 team right now, but they still beat Oregon. They give UConn a really hard time. UConn barely squeaks out that win. Then they go to this Bahamar Classic and upset Stanford. Like they've built quite the resume for themselves over the last two weeks. They have, and they get a couple more uh, non-conference tests, um, you know, before they get into AAC play. They get Ole Miss is, is a decent team. They made a, a big run in the WNIT to the championship game, I believe, last year. They could be a tournament team this year. West West Virginia was just in the rankings recently, um, and, you know, I think they lost to Kentucky tonight, but that's another test, tough test as well. Not quite the same level as, as the Stanford 
or the UConn, but but still more chances for South Florida to build that resume. I definitely see this as at least a second weekend team. They fell one win short of that Sweet 16 last year, but I definitely see them going at least second weekend. I think they could get to the Elite Eight, or they could maybe, you know, they could maybe even be that Arizona type of team this year that, that makes that sneaky run to the Final Four. You could see Sydney Harvey become the Aaron McDonald, and, you know, <laughs> not that she's going to get drafted third in the WNBA, but type of player that, that hits a bunch of shots for two weeks in a row, and, and or maybe it's Elena, Elena Cheneke, I don't know, but uh, I, I think this team has a really high ceiling. Yeah, I think we're seeing some of those players start to step up and score points. So if they can start to do that consistently and, you know, count on those players to knock down shots and like end game moments, I think that's going to be huge for this team. And I, they're definitely a second weekend team in my book. And yeah, I could see them making the Elite Eight maybe. At Final Four seems like a stretch, but you never know. And I just also think the way they play, they're def- defensive minded. Like, even if they're not going to make like a, Elite Eight or Final Four, they're going to be the type of team that can knock out some top contender along the way. So even if they're not kind of contending for that championship at the end of March, they're probably going to knock out someone that we thought would be. Absolutely. This team could end up being a four seed. I would, if I'm a one seed, I would want, would want nothing to do with them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I feel like even more so than Texas, but like South Florida and Texas are not teams that I want on my side of the bracket if I'm a one or two seed. (laughs) Hard no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Those grinded out games, I think when teams play that style, it's so, it's not easy to win, but like they're always going to keep it close. So there's always the threat. (laughs) Exactly. It's really hard to blow someone out in a game in the fifties. So if it's close, anything can happen. You never know in a tie game, March Madness, last minute. You never know when Sydney Harvey's going to hit a shot or when, you know, whoever is going to step up and something's crazy going to happen. So, yeah, like you said, you keep those games low scoring and close, you got a shot. For sure. And then the last team from Bahamar that we haven't talked about is Indiana. So they did get a win over Miami on Saturday, but fell to Stanford on Thursday. It was a close game against Stanford. I believe they lost 66 to 69. Is that right? Yeah, 66 to 69. So a three-point game, really close game. I don't think that like it's a loss that Indiana needs to be worried about at all. I think you know it's a close game. It probably goes a different way the next time we play it. But I think the one thing that stood out for me is this is the game that Cameron Brink had that 2020 game and can Indiana kind of really find a matchup for an elite post player? Like, I mean, Brink is a different post player than a lot of teams have, but she is still like a really strong inside presence. And does Indiana have a true answer to that? Obviously we've seen Mackenzie Holmes be good this season, but can she on the defensive end really answer for a team that has a really strong post player? Yeah, and you know, actually, I would be more concerned if I were Indiana. If you look at these two results, about the two-point win over Miami, than I would about the three-point <laughs> loss. Uh, although we should probably give Gabe his credit. Uh, we <laughs> we just sort of, uh, you know, loaded up on Miami a little bit in our preview show, and and Gabe Gabe came after us, and and he was right. Miami Miami gave Indiana a really good run and almost knocked them off. Um, so maybe we're not giving him enough respect, but. I was a little bit surprised at that result. Indiana, you know, was within one possession of that game. But you're right. 
yeah, Cam- Cameron Brink just kind of had her way with them, and uh, I, that's definitely something. I love Mackenzie Holmes. She's one of the most efficient finishers uh, on the offensive end in the country. I think she's a great rim protector, but in terms of in terms of that defensive rebounding, you know, I think Alexa Golbe is actually their best defensive rebounder. I'm not even sure if it is Mackenzie Holmes at the center position, and and uh, I think that's we saw Cameron Brink get a lot of Stanford's misses, clean, clean them up. Um, and that's, that's something to watch going forward for sure for this Indiana team. You know, we, we were re- so impressed when they, uh, when they put it on Kentucky one by I think 20, but Kentucky doesn't really have that type of low post presence. They're built around Ryan Howard, who's much more of that big wing perimeter type of player. So it was a little bit of a better matchup for them. It's definitely something to watch going forward. Yeah. And I would say, really as early as tonight because they're taking out NC State. And obviously you've got Eliza Kinane in the post for NC State. So I think that's going to be a matchup to definitely be keeping an eye on that one, regardless of who kind of wins that game. Can Indiana really contain her on the defensive end? Or is there, you know, can they succeed in that matchup? I think that's going to be an important key for them going into that game. Definitely. And, you know, you know they're capable because this is the same Indiana team, essentially, and the same NC State team that met up in the in the Sweet 16 of last year's tournament. Indiana snuck out, you know, on a neutral floor with a three-point win. Now they get they get the game on their home floor. Uh, Lisa Kunain had 15 points in that one, five for 11. Uh, she actually did not have an offensive rebound, so she had 12 defensive rebounds. But NC State only had three offensive rebounds as a team in that one. So you know Indiana can do it. It's just can they consistently do it? Can they do it game in and game out? And we'll see tonight, like you said, whether it, you know Indiana, the Indiana shows up that uh, that played that beat NC State in Sweet 16, or the same Indiana shows up that let Cameron Brink get 20 rebounds and lost to Stanford. Because it's you know there's two different. They're always going to be solid on a lot of different areas, but can they consistently defend their own glass? Uh, and we'll fi- we'll find out tonight. For sure, yeah. So I feel like you know we're talking about that game a lot. That's. I think the premier matchup of the Big Ten ACC challenge, probably. I mean, it is you know the highest ranked matchup, but there are a couple other good games on tonight as well. I think what I'm circling is Iowa Duke because we haven't really seen Iowa against a tougher team yet this season, and then Duke not quite ranked yet, but I like what we've seen from them so far to start off the season. Yeah, if Duke wins this game, they will be ranked. They're getting a lot of votes. Uh, this is our first chance. It's interesting because we haven't, like you said, we haven't seen Iowa against, you know, very high-level competition yet this year. Uh, they're coming off that COVID layoff. Will they be rusty? Will they be fatigued? We, You know, it's a lot of the same, most of the same Iowa team that we saw last year. So we did see them. We are familiar with how they, how they have fared against some of that top competition. Duke, to me, is actually maybe the bigger question mark, even though they're not, they're not the ones coming off the COVID layoff, uh, because they only played four games last year in Carol Lawson's first year. They opted out of the season after their first tough test under Carol Lawson uh, against a ranked team, got blown out by Louisville. This year, they haven't played anyone ranked, anyone even getting votes in their six games. So Carol Lawson's 10 games there, one test, and they didn't pass it at all. They failed miserably. So we're gonna. this is a... Now, the second chance for us to, in the first chance with this new squad that she's built with lots of transfers, only 80, over 80% of their scoring is coming from transfers, you know, to first chance to really see the squad against a big-time opponent. Um, Celeste Taylor 
is is big for them on that perimeter defense who we saw with Texas last year. We talked about that Texas-Maryland game, that Texas upset. Celeste Taylor had a, a lot to do with that. Now she's playing for Duke. Elizabeth Balagoon coming over from Louisville. It's a big-time transfer. Um, so, so I think Duke has a really high ceiling. Definitely think they will be ranked if they win this game. Um, but but we, haven't, we haven't seen Kara Lawson and these transfers beat a ranked team yet. So this will be a fun one. Yeah, exactly. They have put up a lot of points so far this season. I think that's one thing that makes this game interesting is we've seen them put up, you know, 87, 90, some of these other smaller teams. And we know that Iowa is not known for their defense. So I feel like it could be a bit of a, a track meet in this one. It should be interesting. But I I think it's going to be really an interesting chance to, for both of these teams to see kind of their first real test of the season. Yeah, I definitely think this one could be played, you know, the 150s, maybe maybe get towards the 160. Um, like you said, two teams who can definitely fill it up. You know, the only the only way that, that doesn't happen is if maybe Iowa comes out really rusty from the COVID layoff and doesn't score the way we're used to. I will give them credit. I think their defense is a little bit more mediocre this year and less the very bottom of power five. Uh, I think it's taken a step <laughs> forward. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it above average yet, but they're get, they're getting there. Um so, so we'll see, but this is definitely one to circle tonight. Yeah, and then I think the other one to circle is probably Michigan-Louisville. I mean, number 10 versus number 12 should be a close game as well. I think that one's going to be interesting. We saw Louisville, they, they lost that game to Arizona, but we haven't really seen them against much of tough competition since then. So I think this is going to be... An interesting test, that Louisville-Arizona game was pretty ugly. I think two teams that were really trying to find their offensive rhythm, two teams in really similar situations, kind of just trying to figure out how do you kind of make up for you've lost Ari McDonald and you've lost Dana Evans. So it'll be interesting to see them against this Michigan squad and how they hold up in their second ring game of the season. Yeah, I'm just gonna go out, go ahead and say this one is not going to be a track meet, and it is not going <laughs> to be. This is gonna be a little bit of a different feel for this matchup. Both of these teams have have been a lot more slow pace, struggling on the offensive end early on. You know, Louisville, like you said, against Arizona, that game I think was in the 50s, even an overtime game, if I remember correctly. Um, Michigan has played a lot of games like that as well. Uh, that Michigan's undefeated, but this is definitely going to be their biggest test. I I do think that the key is going to be Haley Van Lith and Chelsea Hall to some extent, but especially Haley Van Lith's shooting. You mentioned, you know, Louisville trying to find their way without Dana Evans. I think last year Van Lith got a lot more open looks because Dana Evans was handling the ball and she commanded a lot of that defensive attention. This year, a lot of that attention has shifted to Haley Van Lith. She's one for 19 from behind the arc, which has to change and it will change at some point. It's just a matter of does that change tonight or do, do we see it change down the road? Because I don't think Louisville is going to win if, if she's shooting that poorly from three tonight. Yeah, I think they're going to need more from her in this game. So it'll be interesting to see if she can kind of turn it on from deep a little bit more in this game. I mean, I'm not worried about Louisville long term. I think they'll get there. Dana Evans is a really big hole to fill, and I think it's just going to take some time for Van Leaf to figure that out. I mean, she's only a sophomore, and like you said, she didn't have the brunt of all the defensive pressure last year, so it's definitely an adjustment. But I don't know that they're quite there yet. It could be an interesting one here. 
Yeah, definitely. They, they, they will, there's no doubt in my mind. They will get it figured out. And Haley Van Lith, to her credit, does look a lot better in terms of she's in a lot better shape. Um, she's she's really improved her game in a lot of ways. But it's just an adjustment period, like you said, to to being that primary, you know, ball handler and just the, just the the top of the scouting report. Yeah, exactly. And maybe not one that I'm totally circling, but there is Maryland is back in action, so we'll see if they get some of those pieces back. And they do play another team from the Bahamar that gave Indiana a tough time, so you never know. But they do play Miami, which Indiana beat by just two points. So maybe not one that I'm like fully circling compared to those other games, but a score to at least keep an eye on. Yeah, well, if uh, if Miami wins this game, Gabe can dunk all over us on Twitter. Yes. I do think think a shorthanded Maryland team or a full-strength Maryland team both should definitely have what it takes to win this game. But, you know, you never know. Because Miami, as much as they've struggled to score the ball this year, they've been pretty solid on the defensive end. They've played a lot of those same type of games where we were talking about with South Florida and Texas, just obviously a much lower level. But in terms of just mucking it up, 53 to 51, I think was the score of that Indiana game. Um, and it, you keep games low scoring like that, like we said, you never know. You might be in it at the end. So we'll see. It's going to be tough if Maryland, I think they might be getting Faith Masonis back. Not sure about Katie Benson. They're even close to full strength. It's really tough to keep a Maryland game in the 50s. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll see what Miami does. Yeah, I agree. I don't really expect it to be close, but it's at least one that I'm going to keep an eye on the score and might flip over to it if it's close towards the end. All right. I think that will do it. Thanks, Kelvin, for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Megan. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. As always, make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps others find us in our episodes. Also, make sure you are subscribed to the stats site at herhoopstats.com. All the stats that you need for the NCAA season, which is certainly off to a exciting start. Also be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter on Substack to get all of our content directly to your inbox and make sure you're following us on social media at Her Hoop Stats on Twitter, Instagram. Also we have a YouTube channel so check that out as well. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.